got to the point where we were literally walking around the house, like me and my roommate, like with weapons, trying to see if there's like a homeless like ninja in the house somewhere. Todd, are we rolling? Hey, thank you for tuning in <laughs> the Inquisitive Minds podcast. I am your host as usual, Johnny Smith. With me today, uh, my guest is, is a person that defies social stigmas and loves talking about the items uh, that makes others feel weird. Uh, very interesting guy. He has done some stand-up comedy. He was a former professional gamer, uh, self-taught software developer, and uh, at one point a nudist, Thomas Baladan. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. Uh, still a nudist, just I think my next event is going on a hike next month or the month after that. It's like a three-mile hike in New York. Okay, well, you know what? We'll jump right into that. <laughs> That's not something I know much about. I'm a bit of a prude myself. Um, were, was your family a nudist? How, how did you get into that? Uh, no, my aunt, my family, like a media family, is like the opposite of nudists. Uh, so basically, I grew up in a room that my – I shared a room with my brother most of my life. After he moved out getting married, I was basically naked every day, and I was like, huh, th I kind of enjoy this. Okay. Eventually, a couple of years ago, I ended up going to uh, New York to visit my best friend. I took a friend with me, and to fuck with him, I was like – I'm going to take you to a nudist beach. The pure plan was to fuck with it, dude. Ended up going, ended up loving it. It was amazing. I've been a part of the community since. And so has he, actually. How How is the nudist community? Uh, you, you, uh, uh, full disclosure, you were the only person I've ever met that was a nudist, so I don't know anything about it. That's completely fair. Uh, it's probably one of like, the most accepting communities in the world. It's kind of weird there's a short story um the friend i was just talking about i took to new york and stuff the second major event i took him to there was a lot of uh middle-aged to elderly white people there and him being asian and like living in pittsburgh he's faced a decent bit of discrimination even my past landlord started calling him like racial slurs mm -hmm. and stuff even whenever he's paying rent oh wow yeah it's pretty rough uh, there was one day after that second event, I we got in my car. Sorry, this like this is honestly a sad story, and I get very emotional about stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, he told me that's like the most comfortable he's ever been in a situation like that. Like it's the first time he's really felt accepted in that kind of area. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, I don't know. I know a lot of like. Uh Guys that are full of testosterone think about going on a nudist beach and like thinking like, yeah, you know, tits and what have <laughs> you. Um, my thought has always been like body issues. Like, uh, I don't want to go. I don't want to put myself out there. Yeah. Um, but it seems like it's not that that party atmosphere. It's just normal people just being naked. Uh, at a beach, you'll run into because beaches are like very, very public. You'll run into a little bit less of like the friendly nudist community and sometimes well i should say a lot of creepers go to them and stuff like that but whenever you're like at an event like an official nudist event a lot of that stuff is strictly non-tolerated mm -hmm. as far as like the body issues whenever i first went i had just gotten like through a diet regimen i had lost 150 pounds and i had like that saggy st skin on my stomach and stuff uh it was nerve-wracking at first Especially being a grower, not sure. The first guy I saw naked, his dick was down to his kneecap. It was weird. I thought he was like wearing trunks and just matched his skin tone. 
<laughs> um, I get I out love there, your candor. Thank you. <laughs> and I I decided to just like say fuck it. This is kind of my personality. I say fuck it. I strip down. My friend joins right afterwards because he does. He just wants to like be part of the crowd now. He immediately turns to me, puts his hands around his dick like he's got a vulgar thrust. He's like, "Dude, just look at it. Let's get this out of the way." And then after <laughs> that, it's about maybe fifteen minutes for most people to stop being like so self conscious about yourself. Maybe another ten minutes after that to stop focusing on other people. Okay, so that's not bad then. It removes a predetermined barrier of communication. Uh, the way I like to always say is it's very easy to judge someone based off their clothing and kind of get a preconceived notion about who they are. I don't want to get judged off my penis. <laughs> it's if a, I'm being honest. <laughs> it's a lot harder to judge someone so off their body. so much more to offer than my penis. <laughs> <laughs> People aren't walking around staring at dicks. <laughs> at least I don't think they are. I'm not. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Um, so how long has it been now? Uh, being a nudist? Yeah. About three years, about the same time I've been doing stand-up comedy. Okay. Okay, so when you say there's, like, events in New York and you mentioned a hike, this may be a stupid question. Do y'all put on proper footwear? Yeah. So, basically, what you'll always see nudists have is sandals and uh, towels, which was perfect for me. The towel is, like, the most important part of, like, the nudist kit. Don't forget <laughs> to bring a towel. <laughs> All right, all right, that's fascinating. Um, stand up. Uh, you said about three years. When when did you start? Where did you start? Why did you start? Uh, so it's something I've always wanted to do. Technically, I started. I did like one open mic like six years ago, mm -hmm. and it basically was a five minute long joke with no punchline except at the very end, which luckily hit. But it's still like literally five minutes, like. Basically a full-page essay with okay. a joke at the end. I think people only laughed because they were, like, waiting for me to tell one actual he joke. Finally, he finally hit one. <laughs> um, hey, at least you left on a high note. Of course. <laughs> I always wanted to do it, even since I was, like, I think I wanted to do it since I was, like, nine years old. I mean, I was always kind of, like, a social outcast in high school up until, like, my last two, like, you know, 11th and 12th grade. Mm-hmm. And I always just had, like, a lot of fun entertaining people. So it was the best route for me. I love self-deprecation. I love just talking about stuff that makes people uncomfortable. And comedy is a perfect venue for that. Now, were you always uh, like that as far as talking, enjoying talking about things that make people feel uncomfortable? I would say yes. <laughs> uh, I've never been, like, the person to shy away from, like, being like, oh, that person has a nice butthole or whatever. Just, like, randomly say that. My friend from New York's on his way, like, to Chicago right now. He stopped by yesterday. His girlfriend walked in. The first thing I said is, like, this guy has a nice butthole. Have you seen it? They've been dating for, like, four years. Okay. Okay. Um, Thomas, real quick, where are, you, where are you from originally? I'm from Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. And I know it doesn't sound like it. My, my mouth is just shaped weird, you know? I've just stuck to the accent. Okay. This is the best that seven years of speech therapy could give me. <laughs> <laughs> well, take it, man. Uh, I have a, a lisp sometimes with uh, this beautiful grill I got. I understand we all talk a little fucked up every now and then. The worst part about my lisp is I actually thought I had gotten rid of it up until like five years ago, I think it was. It might have been a little bit longer, shorter, whatever. 
I got drunk and I was doing a YouTube video with a friend, and then he played it back to me. And I was like, I have a lisp. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you did one about six years ago. When did you when did you try and get a little more serious with it? Uh, it's been about two years ago. I started going to open mics again. Uh, the first time I went up, I was pretty drunk. Uh, did pretty well. Didn't do very well with like my actual like pre-made material, mm -hmm. but I kind of started rifting off myself, being like, "Oh, I think one of the opening jokes I do now is like, I'm a millennial, so you know I take Adderall." Mm. That literally just came from getting laughs from randomly saying that on stage because I forgot my next line. <laughs> it's always great whenever something like that works out, I suppose. But uh, from there, I started taking lessons from a. Uh, John Knight, who was a very famous stand-up comedian, has been on SNL and everything else, and he's taught me a lot. Okay, that's cool. Well, yeah, we've mentioned uh, John Knight. What was it last week with Kelsey? She was also uh, taking his class a couple times. Um, we had a programmer on a couple episodes ago, Craig Stadler. Okay, who actually created PDVid, um, which is a search engine for videos that like uh doesn't use algorithms doesn't um good change the the uh the results depending on your location um and you get like all the videos that like YouTube filters out and Google will filter out it's it's very fascinating but he's a self-taught programmer as well um he taught himself at the age of 12 through magazines and by 15 he was published in them oh shit yeah he's a very <laughs> impressive dude uh that being said, when did you teach yourself, and how did you come about doing that? Uh, so it all started whenever I was 11 with this game called RuneScape. Uh, a lot of people know about it. It's still relatively popular. I got into, like, making websites for different clans and stuff, and from there I kind of moved on to, like, the glitching and hacking community. Now, you're a little bit younger than me. I remember when I was 12 and 13, the big, like, type of websites, I think it was GeoCities. Yeah. And stuff like that. Were they more advanced when you started than that? I don't, you know what I mean? I don't know much about that. Uh, to be honest, I started on something very similar to GeoCities. That was like free web or something like that. And then I moved to GeoCities. So okay. very, very similar. There's also a bunch of MySpace back then, which you could do your own like coding into there if you wanted to like make a nice template. Okay, okay. But yeah, I started making like bots to like play the video game for me. Started making viruses to like try to steal people's accounts and stuff. I was a sh shitty kid. How do you learn how to do that though? Is uh, is what I'm getting to. A lot of Google. A lot okay. of Google, a little bit of mentorship. Like if you're lost on something, you could be like, "Hey, you know how to do this. Can you like give me a quick description?" I don't know why I thought you were going to do like a stereotypical Italian accent. <laughs> It's just where my the way my voice goes, you know? <laughs> I change fluctuations a lot. Um, and I technically went to college for something unrelated but had a little bit of programming in it. I started tutoring programming in college. What would you go for? Uh, digital media, okay. so doing radio and television. Okay, then this should be a, a great episode. Oh, dude, I'm terrible at it. That's <laughs> <laughs> why so I'm working with coding. Uh I just kind of kept moving my way up uh, in the coding world. I, my first major project was on WabTech. I made like a bunch of wireframes for them with uh, just like coding wireframes, the basic template of HTML page. Then I made the Fred Rogers website, got to meet like the CEO of that. That was awesome. Like, I got like Mr. Rogers? Yep. 
yeah, I got a lot of awesome gifts. Gave my mom a few of them. I still have like the shirt he gave me that he signed hanging up on my wall at my oh, house. Oh, so you were able to meet him too? And not Fred Rogers himself. Okay. I met like his brother or uncle or something like that. I don't remember the relation, <laughs> but like he's the guy a, that owned the company now. That's such a like a Pittsburgh thing <laughs> or like a convention thing. It's like, hey, you guys remember this famous guy? Where here's his brother. I meet him. <laughs> that's exactly how it happened. The I, best. I, I get to meet Chuck Rogers. <laughs> he's not as nice. The best part about like that entire project was like we were converting some of their videos to be on the website. So like for like two weeks straight, I was just basically watching Fred Rogers the entire like shift of my job. I uh, moved on to Mylan, which was an eye-opening thing for me. All right, I want to I want to stop you and slow you down sure. for a second. Um, coding. I'm an idiot. Okay. I don't know anything about anything. Explain to me in basic terms. If imagine you're talking to a, just an idiot, what what how, what is coding exactly? So I like to view it kind of like building a house. Uh, with me working on websites, there's usually a front end, a back end, and your database, which you can kind of include in the back end if you want to. I don't. Uh, so. Their database would be kind of like the f water and electric flowing into your house. Okay. Uh, your back end is going to be kind of like the stuff in your walls, your wiring, the stuff that's actually making things work. And your front end is what makes everything pretty. Okay. And to put it even more exact for front end, uh, your walls could, your like structure of your house would be like your HTML. The color of your walls could be your CSS, and flipping the light switch would be like your JavaScript. I hope somebody listen knows what that means. <laughs> I know JavaScript something with a video, because I've had uh, I've had uh, outdated versions apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly with a video, but it's basically what powers the entire web at this point. That helps a little bit because my only reference to coding is watching uh, most of Silicon Valley. Uh, that's honestly not a bad place to learn from. I learned my cryptocurrency from there. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so you taught yourself that in college, and you went on to work with it. You said, "What did no? What, what was the term? Myanmar, Myanmar, something with an M." After Fred Rogers. Uh, it was Mylan. Mylan. Okay. Uh, now, what is that? It's a pharmaceutical company. Okay. It's kind of eye-opening from there on. Like, you kind of learn that people that have... I don't want to say this in, like, a condescending way, but something I learned, and it's something I don't really like. Whenever... The more money I make, the less that is expected of me as far as time. As far as skill sets, skill sets are expected to be higher, but I work a lot less than I normally do, and I make a lot more than I used to. And, and like, that's because you have a very high skill set? Yeah. Okay. Every lateral move I've made with like my skill set and getting a new job that pays more has required like actual less hours from me. That's the American dream. <laughs> it's, I mean, don't, uh, don't get me wrong. It's nice. <laughs> so just explain your skill set then. Because if there's programming, what else adds to the funk of that? Uh, the main thing I work with these days is Angular, which is something that's built on top of JavaScript. It's made by Google. Uh, it basically lets you make cool things with JavaScript faster. 
Mm. Now, the opposite of Angular is React, which it's kind of similar in many ways. It's way less bloated, which means it's way less file space, which means it could load faster if you're doing it right. But Angular takes more time to learn and offers higher pay at the end with less people looking for jobs because React is more of like a jack-of-all-trades kind of thing. Okay. Anyone can learn React if they know their front-end stuff. Now, when you're learning these things, are they also self-taught? Yeah. Okay. I've been self-taught in everything basically since 11. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Professional gamer or former professional gamer. Former professional gamer. So it started with Yu-Gi-Oh. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah. I, oh, yeah. You, the card game, correct? Yeah. Okay. So I was top 200 in North America of roughly 5 million players at 2012, 13, and 14. Now – when you say that, are you, do you mean the physical card game or the card game on a video game? A uh, physical card game. Okay, so you were two, top 200 in person. Yeah, and okay. I, was, I was constantly going to different events. I was sponsored through different means, uh, one of them being Alter Reality Gaming, which is our business, but it's a big name back then. Now, um, that's, that's so interesting. I want to get into the origin of all that because when the game comes out, you start playing – Obviously, at some point, you realize you're good. How, you know, how do you go from, like, oh, I'm kicking all my friends' asses to, like, let me compete? Uh, to be honest, it was kind of a weird transition. I can remember in high school, I would always, like, be beating my friends' asses. And I didn't know what meta was back then. And meta is basically, like, the, the term for the best call for, like, the time of the card game. Whether it's, like, uh, this deck is the best deck at this current point of time basically okay. so I wasn't doing anything that I was beating friends I went to my first tournament whenever I was like 12 and I ended up getting second place at it somehow without knowing anything like about that and eventually I quit to play online against strangers online I ended up making my own deck and getting a name for myself there end up quitting again up until 2012 ish where I went to my first major event in Philadelphia and I was doing really, really good and got paired against, like, what was the number... I'm not saying he's the best pro player that there was at the time, but he was the most well-known pro player at the and time. And these are, these are conventions strictly for playing this game? Yes. Now, this thing you went to, was it something like an invitational? Did you have to pay? How did you sign up? How did you get involved? Uh, so I'm not sure if it's changed since then, but I'm pretty sure it was $20 back then, <clears throat> along with, like, you know, whatever you're paying for your hotel and stuff. Mm -hmm. And... Eventually, you would just get a piece of paper telling you who you were playing on a wall. Oh, okay. You'd try to fight people to get to that wall so you knew where you had to sit and stuff. So uh, so you get there and you said you faced one of the more well-known guys? He was the most well-known American the, okay, player the most at the well, time. Okay. I can remember his name as Billy... I, oh, shit. Actually, I'm going to say I do not remember his name. I want to say it's Billy Brown, but I think I'm confusing him for someone else that's actually local here. Yeah, man. You don't want the uh, hardcore Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, listeners <laughs> to reach out. You know? I, I still get recognized sometimes. It's weird, dude. I got recognized a month ago in Chipotle. Really? Yeah. It, it's kind of weird because like, I was not the most well-known player, but I still... It's like once every two years. So I'll be like, didn't you like used to play Yu-Gi-Oh? I was like... Yeah, how do you know me? That's wild, man. So when you played this guy, what happened? I was doing really good that day for someone that's... This is my first huge event. 
So there's like I think it was 2,500 players at this event. Um, I was seven to zero at the time, so I had seven wins, zero losses. I lost first round against them, which was not uncommon for the deck I was playing. I was playing a deck called Chainburn. Uh, he in the second game. I accidentally drew whenever I wasn't supposed to. So there's this card that says you can draw two now, but you cannot draw for the next two turns. Mm -hmm. And I accidentally drew on the second turn of it where the next turn it would have faded and I could have drawn then, which got me to lose that entire match. Oh, man. And from there, I could have still technically made it into like the top cuts, but I decided to not play to kind of just like watch the other pro players and see if I can notice anything. The biggest thing... I think I started to notice is they would focus a lot less on their own plays and a lot more on playing the opponent versus playing the game. Mm. And I kind of took that mentality. The second major event, event I went to was in Cleveland or um, Columbus. And how long of a time frame uh, between this, the first one and this one? About three months. Okay. I went to the second uh, event and it was smaller than the first. It was about 400 players. Real quick. Um, you practicing during these three months? You you still playing other people? Yeah, still going to like local tournaments, which are usually about five dollar entry. And is is there a high enough level of competition though locally for you to like really feel well versed to play that? Where I was living at the time, there was only one player that could really give me any real struggle. Okay, but sometimes I would come up to Pittsburgh to play locals, where there's a lot of really cool people that were really good at the game. One of them actually ended up getting second place at Worlds in 2013, I think. His okay. name's David Keener. Okay. And yeah, to get second place at Worlds is absolutely insane because that's one out of five million. Mm, yeah. Okay, so you're at this uh, Cleveland. Um, I end up going through the whole day. I end up taking one loss to another Pittsburgh player and getting third place for the entire day out of 400-some people. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah, and it kind of just steamrolled from there. The funny thing about that, though, is right after that event, is like a week after, my dad approached me about buying a new car because my car had broke down. And he's like, look, if you can give me $1,000, I'll put 1000 in and buy you a new car. I was like, okay. I came up to Pittsburgh and sold my deck of cards for 1500 within like oh. hours of getting into Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. I didn't, uh, I didn't even realize that was a thing. Oh, yeah. No, the meta decks in the game get ridiculously expensive. I don't know how much they are these days, but back then, the deck I was playing called Windups, uh, it would go for around twelve to 1500 Now, do you buy these cards individually and form them together, or is this a pre-made deck that you find somewhere? Uh, I would basically buy individual cards and build decks from there. Now, did you buy from the card packs, or did you go and search out that specific card? That specific card. There's a lot of people that really enjoy opening card packs because they enjoy, like, the feeling of, you know... The excitement, the anticipation. Yeah. You randomly open a pack, and sometimes that $4 pack just, like, was a $100 card in there mm -hmm. or whatever. I never really enjoyed it for some reason, which is weird because I love gambling. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay, okay. So, and you did 1500 you sold that one for. Yeah. Woo. All right. That's, that's, that's I mean, impressive. So you, you switched to online shortly after? Uh, no. Online was before online college. Online was before college. Yeah, this is all during college and after college. Okay. Where does the – and is that the professional gaming? Y yeah. Uh, so 
it, along with doing Yu-Gi-Oh, I, I got sponsored not too long after that Cleveland event. Mm-hmm. And I started going to a bunch of regional competitions and basically getting top eight at every single one of them. It got to the point where I started taking meme decks, and that's actually how I got well-known in the game. What does that mean? I would take decks that were known to be bad with my own spin, or I would take good de- decks with cards that were considered bad in them. Okay. And I would constantly be getting like tops with those kind of decks, which is how I started getting like recognized so much, despite being a sponsored player. Hmm. Uh, along with doing that, I was doing Halo Three on back then as called Game Battles. Okay. I was on a top ten team. Went to uh, MLG Columbus in 2012, I want to say. I might be wrong on the year. What is that, Major League Gaming? Is that what that stands for? Yeah. Um, ended up placing 10th or 9th uh, as far as teams go, which put us like right outside the prize pool because there was 32 teams and you had to get top 8 to get into the prize pool. It was also pre-selected teams off of uh, teams that have performed well in the past or top teams off of game battles. I was also a spare player if someone like got sick um, on Modern Warfare 2 on a top, I think it was top three team. Oh, top three in the country? In yeah. In the world? Oh, on game battles, which oh, most okay. teams are listed on there. Okay. And then for Halo Reach, I was on a top five team for a long time, but we never went to any real life events. Okay, so what uh, what'd you, made you quit that? Uh, to be honest, at the time, there wasn't very much money in competitive gaming unless you were like a part of like the top two teams, which then was phasing another team I do not remember the name of. I want to say Optical. Okay. But there's more money in it now? There's way more money in and it like now. I see it being televised and stuff, not just streamed, too. Yeah, like, uh, for example, League of Legends, rough, the pro players in that game, like the top of the pro players, roughly make like 10 mil a year. So... It's gone to a very, very high degree. Ninja was originally, he's a top tier, a top Twitch streamer, one Mm -hmm. of the top viewed streamers. So he makes a lot of money. Uh, He was originally a Halo 3 player or Halo, he was some kind of Halo player Mm -hmm. that moved over to Fortnite and that's where he started gaining his views. Um, Ever do any uh, like fighting gaming? Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, anything like that? Yes, but I'm really bad at them. But, I know a group here in Pittsburgh that is really good, including my friend from New York that uh, just came by. You want to shout him out? Uh, yeah, Michael Rennie. Uh, I don't remember the company's name, <laughs> sadly. But, yeah, they do a lot of uh, cons, gaming events. They always have a photo booth going on. Hmm. Okay. Um, I don't, I, you know, I think I missed the boat for that because I would get, when I was younger, we got video games, but there was never anything like that. Like, I got a Super Nintendo and a Sega when I was, like, six. But, Dude. you know, there was we didn't know anything about the outside world. Super Nintendo was fucking awesome. Yeah, Super Nintendo was great. Um, so, oh, the paranormal experiences. Yeah. So I want your specific paranormal experiences. My specific paranormal experience. So there was a few surrounding me, like with fellow family members and stuff, and I was still always extremely skeptical. I actually forgot to mention this to you, but whenever I was 13, and I am still skeptical of what I saw to this point because of the time of my life, I had just lost three close by family members within the span of two weeks. My condolences. 
um, there was one time I went outside and it seemed like there was a UFO because I remember watching it come down and it kind of looked like a meteorite and part of me was like really, really scared. We're going we're gonna to be slow on this. Uh, age, location? Uh, Waynesburg, Pennsylvania, my parents' house, which was slightly out of Waynesburg, so a little bit more country. Okay. Um, and I want to say I was like 12 or 13. I was in middle school. I remember that much. Okay. Okay. And time of day? Uh, probably around 11 to 12 at night. Okay. Okay. So it's late. Yeah. Go so ahead. I remember seeing it, getting scared, and there's kind of like a circular light in the sky. I couldn't see anything above the light, but I remember in like my child mind, I thought if I look at the bottom and there's light on the ground, then that means it's probably real. So I remember looking down, and there was light on the ground. There was also no sound that I can remember. Hmm. It was, like, very, very quiet. I ran inside and yelled, Mom, there's a UFO outside. And she, like, stopped lying and went back outside and didn't see it. How uh, far away was it from you? It would have been right above my property, basically. Like, not right above the house, but we had a fairly large yard. Mm -hmm. And it would have been above the road right beside the yard. Because so, I remember looking at the road and seeing the light. How high? Up in the air? Uh, to be honest, I cannot judge that because I couldn't see, like, the top of it to, like, judge the size. Okay, okay. But it's a fairly – it kind of looked like a large floodlight, like, just hovering above oh, really? the ground. Yeah. Okay. Now, have you seen anything else since then? Not really. As far as UFOs? No. I, I am one of those people that do love to, like, go out into the country and stare at the sky at nighttime. And every night and then I'll see something that's kind of weird, but I usually just attribute it to satellites and stuff. I'm a very, very skeptical person in general. Have you been following all the uh, updates with the government releasing UFO footage and confirmations and what have you? I have been. I'm super excited. <laughs> what, what, what's your thoughts on all that? What's your take on it? Uh so the second someone's like, I'm going to sell a book out of this, I become ex even more skeptical than I probably should be. Like, for example, there is that, I think he was 93-year-old uh, Israeli uh, general. Oh, the, okay. Or something like that mm -hmm. that said he's going to announce a lot of stuff. And his, I mean, his credentials are spot on. But the part of me is like, maybe he's just trying to make fam money for his grandkids or something like that. Uh, personally, I believe in aliens. I don't know if they're here, but I 100% believe they exist. <laughs> it seemed kind of silly to be like this huge of a universe. And it's something I contemplate all the time, like how big the universe actually is. And that we'd be the only life. I don't think that's... I'm, I'm right there with yeah. you with that. It's just if there's so many planets out there and, you know, the universe is constantly expanding... And we're the only ones. Yeah, like, no, it doesn't make sense. That's very that's. I feel like that's in a very American way of thinking about <laughs> the solar system or or space in general. I know, like people can attribute it to like religion and stuff, being like, oh, they don't exist because we were made by God and something like that. But wouldn't God want to make other beings elsewhere and stuff like that? Maybe God was an alien and they just have like very long lifespans and technology that we couldn't recognize. I mean, I still believe that there's something after death, but. Yeah. Um, oh, I want to get into that, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't like that argument. That says, oh, God made us. Well, he can if he if God can do this, he can do this throughout existence. So, I mean, if you believe, then your arguments 
faulted all, already. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're a Christian. You think God is all-powerful. All, well, then he can do anything. So what are you arguing about? I mean, I think it was literally in just like the last two weeks. They proved that there was a human settlement about 11,000, I think it was, years ago, which was previously thought not to be even possible. And they think it was ultimately like finished by a comet. Oh. That, that just came out like a week or two ago. I didn't see that at all. Yeah, no, it was. I saw it on Reddit. I remember like a lot of comments being like, "Joe Rogan needs a a guest on for this." <laughs> <laughs> now, then, uh, previous to that, when was it thought of the first uh, human settlement? I think it would have been around ancient Egyptian time, which I want to say was four thousand years ago, five thousand. I can be wrong. I'm terrible at history. Okay. Very very bad. Okay. Okay. What's your What's your religious thoughts, man? Uh so. I grew up in kind of a hyper Christian family that has toned itself down. A lot of my relatives are still very, very much so Christian. I personally believe there's probably truth in all religions, but we I feel like it's impossible to know what's actually true and not true. And the best way to move about in life is to just, I don't like the word karma, but try to be like a good person. Because I think there's something there, and whether it's something that we cannot imagine or if it's complete non-existence, either way, I feel like those are like the most two likely solutions. Okay. I mean, that's fairly fair. There's people that will scream and get all uppity about anything you say either way. Of course. <laughs> you know, especially with religion involved. My God, your God. Okay, that's fine. Um, people love to scream about the nudism stuff like, oh, you guys are just, you know, trying to be sexual and stuff like these are very non -stri very strict, non-sexual events. So you guys get like discriminated against and, and harassed. But who, and where are people doing this? And, and you know what I mean? Like if you're in an event, are people coming to it clothed to harass you or it's more or less like online and like what you see on TV. For example, I think like the show Naked and Afraid gives like such a bad example and mind you i've barely watched it because of this purpose but they purposely make it a lot about like the genitalia and it's not really about like you know tits dicks and ass or whatever it's like you just want to have that freedom and people want to explore that kind of freedom okay so people get online and what they they uh quote religious doctrine to you religious your sinners religious doctrine they're like oh, i don't think i could ever be around that many dicks you know, like you know stuff like that they it's just general like either body phobia like being scared of seeing other people's bodies uh old school ways of thinking of being like well no one except for your wife should see you like that <laughs> meanwhile me and my girlfriend will go to like any party and strip down like just because <laughs> right on yeah no I don't know. Just I, I, and I'm sure many people feel this way. Like, if it's not bothering you, don't don't fucking worry about it. N that's basically my opinion of it. Uh, there is a story I know, and I know the people, but I don't want to name them, even though they have passed. And I feel like this is a excellent example of how people should be. Not particularly one part of it, but they were very, very racist and very anti uh, the original uh, Black Lives movement back whenever Martin Luther King was doing his thing. Okay. Now, I did not, obviously, I did not agree with him on the whole racism thing. 
But one thing that they told me is even though they were racist, they still supported the movement because they believe that people should have the rights to choose for themselves. Mm. So they still marched with them. They still like did things within like their own local communities to promote them, even if they did not like them for their skin color. That's very weird. It's weird, but honestly, I feel like it's a good way to look at on life. Like, even if you don't like something or don't approve of something, maybe you should just, you know, give someone a thumbs up and still support them and, you know, be a bro. Even less than that. Just don't run your mouth about it. Exactly. You know, like, it's so easy just to not say something about things that has nothing to do with you. People, like, go around everywhere thinking they're leaving, like, a Yelp review and they're, like, a professional critic. It's like, shut the fuck up. No one cares about your opinion. <laughs> Here, I'm a, I'm a tattooed fat white guy. Let me weigh in on uh, the abortion issue. <laughs> 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 Women's rights, huh? Here's a man's opinion about it. Like, no, it's not going to help anything. It really doesn't. I mean, I, I, I will freely give my opinion on any issue, but I also preface... Basically anything. I go along life pretending I basically know nothing, even if I feel like I know what I'm talking about. I wish I could say that. I just don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just an idiot. So after uh, after that uh, potential UFO, um, di did you have any ghost stories? So did you want me to tell the uh, ghost stories that were happening around me with like family members and stuff like that? Yeah, but you can do that. Okay, so... There was always rumors that my grandmother's house was haunted. And there's always stories about chairs moving in there and stuff. And my dad always refused to like spend the night there. I mean, to be fair, we lived fairly close. But he said the reason why is like anytime he was living there as a kid, stuff would freak him out there. Uh, so what had happened is my grandma had fell and she had broken a leg. And she went down to spend time with relatives in Florida while my dad converted her two-story house to be livable on just the first story. Okay. Uh, it's important to note for another story that my grandmother was a hairstylist. Like, that's what she did. She styled people's hairs. Okay. Um, so there was one day he kept getting a feeling while do being there alone that something did not want him in the house. So he pulled out one of those old, like tables that you would like eat off of you know pull up to a chair put i think and, he said you said he was in there trying to fix up her house yeah fix it up so it could be a one-story house instead of two, two and stories. he was feeling a, a negative presence basically okay. yeah that's how he described it okay uh so he went upstairs put a few books on top of this table and just he said he yelled out loud into the house if you want me out of this house knock these books over and i will leave he walked down the staircase, and he said no longer that no longer than like a second after he took the last step off the staircase, he heard them fall. Mind you, this is a pretty wide table, sturdy. They're in the middle of the table. Mm -hmm. He walks back upstairs partially. He sees them on the floor, and he said he just left. He went back like three days later, and he said it felt fine again. Huh. Soon after she returned, sadly, she passed away, and he went to sell the house to someone that he knew. And it was literally three days after the guy had bought the house and was moved in there. He came to my dad. was like, you didn't tell me this place was haunted. Oh, really? Apparently, he had hairstyle stuff that at the time was known to give people like certain types of cancer. Mm -hmm. And every time he went to his bathroom, he'd find that they were missing. And he'd find them in random trash cans throughout the house. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting. <laughs> so it's like ghosts trying to save people. Yeah, that, I mean, that's how it felt. Like, that's how he described it. And it, honestly, we had a great laugh out of it because, you know, we didn't tell him, like, we had feelings that was haunted. Mm -hmm. And it happened so soon afterwards. There was one time uh, not too long after that, and I don't really recall too much of the memory, but there was a chair in my uh, bedroom that just fl kind of, like, got pushed across the room rather fast. I was still very heavily skeptical, though. Mm hmm of basically any of my experiences up until the last house I lived in. Okay. I don't know what the story is with the house, but literally night one that we moved in there, it sounded like there was footsteps all throughout the house, and not like soft footsteps either, like a mouse. It sounded like someone running with boots on. Okay. Me and my roommate kept going throughout the house, literally carrying like whatever weapons we had on us, and, like, going through every nook and cranny looking for, like, someone potentially in the house. And we were doing this almost every day because that's how bad it was. Really? I took my girlfriend over who said she had, like, a heightened, like, sense for that kind of stuff. The second she walked in the house, she was like, I don't feel good here. Like, something feels bad. And lights started flickering randomly. Like, the actual switch would go up and down. Oh, while and, you're – and you can see this. Yeah. It, okay. It was bad. There was, like, one particular hallway – Every single summer, it would get really bad. It got to the point my girlfriend actually taped one of the light switches. It was on the outside of the bathroom for mm. some reason. So she taped it so the light would not shut off while she was in the bathroom. Wow. It was, I've never heard of that. It was, it was intense. Anytime, there was a period of time I lived there alone, and it was honestly the most terrifying thing I've ever experienced. Because <laughs> like, every single night, I could hear like, walking through like upstairs and everything else downstairs you'd walk around go upstairs where there's only one way to get out through the window or down the staircase which is right beside my bedroom now did you ever try and uh find any like uh professional help for this like, any type of investigators to be honest no i kind of just accepted that i was fucked <laughs> it's, it's weird but it literally was to a point like in the winter months it would oddly enough seem to like calm down a bit and at first that made us kind of think it might have been pipes or something, but there's no kind of piping going up upstairs, which is where most of the activity would start off at, and then well, it would there, end up in the hallways. There's no kind of piping that I know either that'll flick a light switch on and off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. Um, there was one time there was like four of us smoking a bong at this like very, very large dining room table up in the attic. And mind you, very large meaning like, you could probably sit like 20 people at this table okay. pretty easily. And there's a stack of paper in the middle of the table. The windows are closed. There's no breeze going through. And they just fly off the table. And this is how numb me and my roommate were at the time. We were like, did you do that? No? Okay. The ghost is back. <laughs> what about uh, any type of research into the property history? So there was one very interesting day that led into a lot of research. And I couldn't find anything. But what had happened was... One of my friends had his girlfriend over, and she said, like, there was something weird about the house, same way my girlfriend did. They went out to smoke outside, and someone drove up, and was like, hey, is that 1802? And they're like, yeah. He was like, some fucked up shit happened there, and then just drove off. Oh. And, like, from there on out, we, were try we looked at the local library, asked neighbors, and no one had an idea what the guy was talking about. It was huh. crazy. <laughs> well, Tom. I want to thank you for coming on uh, 
Before we get off here, I'd like to ask the guest for some advice to the listeners out there. Um, don't give a shit about what it is uh, as far as like what it pertains to. Just general advice, anything you'd like to say. Uh, if someone says, Tom, tell me something. What do you say? The best way to improve at anything and achieve success is being very, very mindfully aware of yourself. That's how I became good at coding. So I became top gamer and still play video games somewhat competitively, but never not tournaments anymore. It's how I still like play card games. I just started playing a new card game last night with my friend and beat him, even though I was brand new to it. A lot of the time, focusing on what you're doing and focusing purely on yourself is not going to get you where you want to be. You want to be. You need to be open and need to be focusing on playing other players, focusing on like your surroundings more than yourself. After you are done with a situation, then you can self-reflect. And once you do self-reflect, you can focus on like where you went wrong. Look for your mistakes. And that's the best way to get good at anything. That's great advice all the way around. Um, anything you want to say, anything you want to put out there, any message you have to get off your chest? Um, I think I had one more ghost story, which was I'll take it. The absolute crux of what changed my mind. Oh yeah, we'll subject. definitely take it then. At the very beginning of this podcast, I was kind of talking about it. Oh, okay. There's a time where I was trying to get my f- girlfriend's friend and one of my friends to hook up. So me and my girlfriend are in my bedroom, and we put them in the empty bedroom, which is right beside. So the two bedrooms are right beside each other, and this is right outside the hallway, which is all where all the stuff was mm-hmm. happening. My roommate had left to go on a trip to New York with his mom, and the house is all locked and everything else. We're Both couples are messing around in each individual's rooms, and we hear what sounds like running through the hallway. And I figured, like, in my head, is we were still fairly new to the house, and I was still trying to figure out what was going on. There was nothing that went down the stairs. It sounded like it ran through the hallway into the bathroom beside both of our rooms. Somebody got to piss real bad. Yeah. So... We, me and my girlfriend step out, look, see if the bathroom door, room door is closed. It's not. We knock on their door and they're like, did you guys hear that? And they were like, yeah, we did. We thought it was you guys. Like one of you had to like really go to the bathroom or something. Like there's no one in there. That door is still locked. All the windows are closed. And honestly, that was like the most chilling experience I've ever had because it made me realize it was not all in mine in my roommate's head. Okay. We had three completely new people that all heard the same exact heavy-footed like boots run through the room. Yeah, that's got to be a terrifying feeling. It it was like the official feeling where I was like, oh shit, I I think I believe in ghosts now for sure. Now, when you moved out of there, uh, did you have any experiences at any other places? Uh, so at my current place, I have not really had any experiences, which is kind of, I guess, what some people have said I've been lucky with that because they said if something's that active, it's prone to like latch on to someone. That's why I was asking for them. a follow-up to see if it, it came with you, yeah. But it seemed like whatever it was was tied to that house, and I would guess there was probably two of them if I had to guess because of the amount of activity. There would always be like the heavy footsteps, and every now and then it – be like we never saw an image but every now and then you'd see a shadow of like what looked like a little kid with long hair so i'm assuming a girl okay oh well that's that's creepy yeah i mean you did get that is fortunate you know it didn't follow you 
Um, I was also curious, like, ask it because sometimes once people are opened up to that, they're more uh, prone to seeing it at other locations. But then again, I, I got a lot of paranormal investigators and whatnot on my uh, timeline. And, uh, guys, not every fucking place is haunted. <laughs> like, there's just going to be some places that's just a McDonald's. Like, you know what I mean? I believe the house is still being rented out. There's probably someone living there now. The landlord's a little bit crazy, but if you can dodge that, get into the house during the summer months, just spend like one or two nights there, I guarantee you every single night during the summer you would hear something there. Was that the the place you said where friends only stayed like one night or yeah. would only, wouldn't stay more than two nights? Yeah, they would come over, they'd stay a night and be like, yeah, I... I'm not staying in this house any longer. I hear shit all night long. It's like walking through the house. I see lights flickering and everything else. It was bad. And those folks are first world problems. Because, <laughs> because when you can't afford to eat, you're not leaving and going to a hotel. Um, Tom, that was very fun, man. Thank you very much. That was much. very fun. Do you have like uh, links and whatnot you want to put out there for people to reach out to you? Uh, currently not uploading, but will be soon. T uh, YouTube at Peeping Otter and Twitch.tv at Peeping Otter. Okay. Okay, guys, make sure you check him out. Um, great episode. I had a lot of fun with you. Again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, next week, if my – what what is today's date? The 30th? I have no idea. Today's the 30th. Next week – uh, Ed Kellerman will be back in studio. He had to postpone this week due to some family issues. But he is a great guy. He's a paranormal investigator. Uh, last time I checked, he was bringing his daughter, who is also a psychic slash witch, slash witch. And if I am saying that wrong, forgive me. But I'm really looking forward to that. You guys, uh, put some new dates out there. Check it out. Come see me do some live stand-up. Uh, roast is on the 26th or the 29th. I don't fucking know. It's on the flyer, guys. I'm going to eat Skywalker from the inside the fuck out. Uh, that's it for me. We'll see you next time. Peace and love, everybody. Thank you.